the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 0111911. All right, uh, Craig, thank you. Annie Lorenzen will join us in a minute. First, uh, we've got John Lindsay joining us. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you guys doing today? We're good, John. We're just uh, getting all these reports about a tornado warning. Now I'm being told the tornado warning has been canceled. What can you tell us? Sure. So an, an intense cold front uh, came basically down the California coastline and passed our area right around uh, 4 p.m. or so and um, created some, well, some thunderstorms and a little bit of severe weather. It passed over Los Osos um, about 15 minutes ago, and it did produce some pretty darn heavy rain and some gusty winds. We had a wind gust towards around 30 miles per hour or, or so, and I downloaded the radar, the Doppler radar weather information um, display, and, yeah, sure enough, at... Um, at around 3.30 p.m., so about 40 minutes ago, um, there was definitely a signature tornadic activity, I would say, about about five miles right off, uh, five miles west of uh, Morrill Bay, actually between Los Osos and Morrill Bay, and pretty classic comma type of signature right there, which usually always indicates a, a possible tornado, or in this case, probably a water spout, since it was over the... Uh, over the Pacific, and uh, it moved right over my house, and it did produce some pretty gusty winds and very intense rain, and uh, we just had a had a brief moment of sunshine here, Dave, um, as that cold, cold front passed us. So basically, we're looking at uh, strong to gale force northwesterly winds. Uh, people would usually call that post-frontal winds, and and showers, and these uh, rain showers uh, will continue right through Thursday afternoon, and then and cold temperatures, in fact, snow levels could get down to about 3,500 feet or so tonight, and then we're in for a, a period of dry weather starting on Friday and continuing right through the yeah. Valentine's Day week. Perfect. Uh, so, which I think yeah. I think we all could use a break in the, <laughs> from yeah. all this rain that we've had. Dave. Right. But the main takeaway I want, John, is that there's nothing to be concerned about in terms of a tornado. That has passed. Yeah, at, at this time, that, that cold front, the, the squall line has uh, sort of reduced in intensity as it's moved down the down the uh, the coastline. Uh, currently, um, it is a little bit south of Avila Beach, heading towards Pismo Beach, and they do have a uh, thunderstorm warning. So, if you're living in Pismo Beach, um, going down to Oceano, Napomo, into Santa Maria and Lompoc. Um, good chance you may hear the, the the sound of thunder and very intense rain, along with a good possibility of hail. And of course, uh, with thunder, is always a chance of of lightning strikes. So, rule the cardinal rule: if, if you know if thunder roars, go indoors. That's always a, a great um, great safety tip. If you happen to be in your car, stay in your car because that's that's really uh, insulated and, and grounded from from lightning. But um, yeah, just kind of wise to to you know stay indoors. If thunder roars, go indoors. All right, that's a, that's John Lindsay, safety advice. Appreciate it very much, sir.
Thank you. Okay. Stay safe, you, stay dry. The news of the hour is that there is uh, nothing to be concerned about in terms of a possible tornado. We've heard it from both John Lindsay and Dave Hovde. It must be true. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. It's Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. In about an hour, we're in conversation with Adam Verdon. Coming up, we got plenty to talk about with Adam. This hour, always good to be in conversation with Annie Lorenzen. She joins us now. Annie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. How's your um, weather? And by the, way, it's, by the way, it's pounding rain down here. Uh, we're on the backside of the Mesa off Los Barros Thompson going towards Oceano. And uh, real windy and really coming down, but it's probably, I guess, from what John said, it's moving its way somewhere else. But it's heavy. It's been heavy for about 15 minutes. Yeah, I thought we were done with the rain, but I guess not. (laughs) Hmm. No, but it'll stand us in good stead, I hope. All right. Well, we're glad that Annie is with us, rain or shine. So here's the story. A jury has found a Michigan mother guilty of involuntary manslaughter for failing to stop her son from carrying out a deadly school shooting. Jennifer Crumbly, 45, is the first U.S. parent convicted of manslaughter over a mass shooting carried out by their child. Uh, We reached out to Annie. She has uh, been on the show in the past as a gun advocate. She's also a mother. And Annie, here are the, the basic facts that I am aware of. It's not just the mother. Uh, the husband, the father, James, is going to go on trial in March. They asked for a separate trial. They originally yeah. were going to be, be tried together. They asked to be tried separately. So she went first, and then the husband's going to be um, following. The son, Ethan, I believe was 15 at the time. He killed four classmates. He wounded seven he is serving life in prison. Jennifer Crumbly was convicted by a jury of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. There's so much to unpack here. What's your general reaction when you saw this story? Um, well, at the beginning, when it when the when the when the when the shooting took place, um, a lot of stuff came out almost immediately about his situation and how his parents didn't come get him and or the school should have removed him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, oh, this is going to, this is going to end up, it'll be the one that brings suit against the parents for his shooting. And, uh, and that played out, of course. So I'm not, I'm not sure. And you can help with that. I'm, I think I'm just not sure what that means as far as what her possible sentences might be. Um, I do feel like philosophically that the parents, the parents need to take some responsibility or be accountable for some of this. But I'm, again, Dave, neither of us were on the jury. We haven't seen any of the other stuff other than what we read in the paper. Um, my inclination is parents, there are parents, not all parents who have these incidents, but there are parents, and this looks like a case 
where the parents need to be be accountable for some of the issues here. And I think that's what the involuntary manslaughter is saying. She, did right. she pull the trigger? No. no. Um, but was she in some way responsible for how it all finally went down, what her boy did? Uh, and that's that's the question. So for me, the biggest question is, what is being considered? If justice is done in some way for the families, which it would be, and and the victims of of the victims' families and all that, if justice is to be done, I'm wondering where the mercy might come in that would, in some way, uh, correct the feeling I think that people have that. She needs to just go to prison. Well, let me let, let's di- let's dive ahead. a little bit deeper, though, Annie. According uh, from the BBC coverage, it's interesting that they covered this. At her trial, prosecutors presented evidence that Ethan Crumbly, the shooter, had wanted mm-hmm. mental health help and complained of hallucinations, but his mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. did not get him treatment. Uh, The mother said on the witness stand she did not think her son had mental health problems. On the morning of the shooting, the parents cut short a school meeting about a disturbing drawing their son had made so that they could go to work and declined to take the then 15-year-old home. School officials sent him back to class without checking his backpack, which contained a gun. Right. Does that change your perspective at all? It, with that, okay. My, let's see. I have really wrestled with this story since before you ever asked me about this. Um, everything that was read, I read up front was red flag after red flag. The parents ignored it. Mother ignored it. They had other things. She went to the shooting range with him. The last gun, the last time he held the gun, she was standing next to him. Then there's the failure within the school system to arbitrarily make a decision on what is the greater good for the kids and faculty that was still there. So I think there is shared responsibility, but yes, I agree, something she should have and the father should be charged with something. And I don't think manslaughter is out of the question or off the table. And for me, I'm okay with that part of it. I'm just more interested in, okay, how are they going to make this in some way right? Because just throwing the parents into prison is not going to make it right in any way, shape, or form. You can't make what happened to the victims and the families right. That's not what I'm saying. But this is a community problem. This is something that happened in the context of a community. So how do we somehow, for the greater good, make something out of this without, well, I don't think, throwing her in prison. The but, answer, is, I guess. but isn't it a two-step process, Annie? One is punishing those who might be responsible, and right. step two, m- making it better in the community, as you suggest. I see them as two separate items. Well, I think depending on how one is handled will impact positively the second part. So that's... You know, we're not just, we can't just stop and say, okay, now justice is done because we found the mother guilty. We're going to do our best to find the father guilty or however that goes down. But where do we go from here? And I would like to correct something that you said at the very beginning when you introduced me. Um, You called me a gun advocate, and I, I don't think that's a fair description of who I am today. I am in favor of fair 
decent gun laws and the continuing use of them to keep people safe. I'm not a gun advocate, but I'm a gun safety advocate for sure. I think we're both saying the same thing, but perhaps differently. My my only point was, Annie, you have been on in the past talking about Mm -hmm. responsible Mm -hmm. gun ownership and defending the right of people to be responsible gun owners. That's all I meant. And Yeah, and it's good that you said that. Thank you for clarifying it further, because these parents were derelict in their duty to this kid and to the community, terribly derelict in the way... There was no gun safety in their house, as far as I'm concerned. So let's pursue that when we come back. Annie Lorenzen is my guest, talking about this verdict out of Michigan. More conversation in your phone call still to come. I'm Dave Congleton with a question. Is your furry friend in need of some TLC? Well, look no further than the new Cuesta Park Animal Hospital at the base of the grade right here in San Luis. They're here to provide top-notch care for your beloved pets. With convenient hours Monday through Friday from 8 to 5, they're always ready to help. No need to wait for weeks to get an appointment. Cuesta Park Animal Hospital offers same-day appointments for both wellness checkups and injury or illness concerns. And for those unexpected moments, they can also provide same-day walk-in drop-offs for emergency illness or injury cases. At Cuesta Park Animal Hospital, they believe in advanced diagnostics to ensure the best treatment for your pet. They also offer boarding services and provide loving care for your pets while you're away. So why wait? Visit QuestaParkDVM.com. Make the call today to schedule your pet next appointment. Start the new year off with a wellness checkup for your pet. Cuesta Park Animal Hospital, where your pet always comes first. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars above in your eyes. Next week, we've got uh, city manager Derek Johnson is going to join us on Monday. Jack Hardy is going to join us on Tuesday. We are busy. All we need is you. Hometown Radio, weekday afternoons from 305 to 7 o'clock right here on KVEC. We'll welcome your phone calls and text messages for Annie Lorenzen after news at the bottom of the hour. We're talking about Jennifer Crumley, the mom, the parent. First U.S. parent convicted of manslaughter for failing to stop her son from carrying out a deadly school shooting. And Annie, as we come back to you, I think we should kind of broaden the question to what exactly are the responsibilities of a parent for their underage child? I mean, had this guy been an adult uh, at the time, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. But we have the parents now being held accountable for the actions of their child. What do you think about that? In in this case, now that's based on what what I've read, what I've seen, what you've shared, etc. Sure. On this case, I think the parents, there's a great deal of culpability there. I, I do. Because we're also, you know, you mix in something that can end somebody's life in a heartbeat. You mix in a gun into the into that. Then you are you are taking on additional responsibility for any child in your house at any age where a gun resides with the family and this kid has access and this kid had more than access. So in this case, I don't think that, I think that that's right, that the parents share responsibility and culpability here. They didn't pull the trigger. They obviously, for whatever their reasons, had no idea that things could go so south when they both, at least the mother, knew how her son was was mentally ill. Um, there's such a lack of personal responsibility 
for a child who is struggling, obviously, with mental illness, and you're okay with a gun in the house. You're okay with giving him shooting lessons. Um, I think it's I think it's fair that this went for that kind of. I mean that she got charged. I think it's fair so under these circumstances. Do we start down the slippery slope of you? Or you're a bad parent. You can help be held accountable for being a bad parent. I don't think it's. I don't think. Well, I don't think it's like that. I think we have to look at situationally for example if a kid is 15 they start taking driving lessons and a car can kill anybody as well as a gun can and it is because the car doesn't decide to do it it's because the person handling the car either was negligent inexperienced or not you know not mentally aware or able and i think the gun is kind of a similar thing and what do we have in place for people who have underage children driving car insurance all right and that helps a parent because if their child were to have a bad accident and hurt someone else then they have someone else to help them defend the situation rightly or wrongly so you know if and and then you have to say are you going to try to define in general bad parenting and i don't think i don't think you can i think you can define in certain situations um, what a negligent parent would look like in these cases. What's a negligent parent who lets a kid drive? What's a negligent parent who lets a, you know, lets a kid have a gun? What's a negligent parent who lets a kid drive a motorcycle or a BMW when they're 15? You know, what, yeah. what is that? Well, but so, let, me get, let me give you an example. If, um, okay. if I have a teenage daughter and she goes out and she's got a history of alcohol abuse and I failed as a parent to get that under control and she kills two other people, am I now going to go to prison? Okay. It would de- what would it depend on, Dave? It would depend on, you know, how much did they know up front about the child, just like with this case, how much did they know up front about the child's addiction? What did they have in place? And yes, that would require mental health professionals helping monitor or whatever. What did they have in place to prevent this this child who's addicted from using, having access to, giving it to other people, whatever? So, is that is that answer your question? Yeah, I got one minute left, Annie. Then we'll go to go to news. Okay. I find it interesting okay. that the mother, based upon what I read, she seemed to try to pass the buck on the husband. Oh, he's the one that was encouraging the gun. I didn't really want it in the house. Do you buy that defense? Obviously, the jury didn't. What do you think? In, in, in honor of everything that, I mean, out of deference to everything I read, I don't buy that because she's also trying to lay it on the school district that the school district let down her kid. And I, I, that's the other thing that troubles me, and I think I mentioned that briefly up front, and then we can go for a minute or two or whatever. But she has not shown a lot of remorse that I'm aware of. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen any press about any remorse. It's more about, like you said, my husband's in charge, but she's the last one at the shooting range. The school district's fault, but she refuses to take him out the morning that this happened. The school screwed up because they didn't double, they didn't check his backpack. You know, there's, there's plenty of share of culpability here, but I don't buy her defense, by any means. All right, Annie Lorenzen is here talking about this case out of Michigan. Jennifer Crumbly, 
became the first U.S. parent convicted of manslaughter for failing to stop her son from carrying out a deadly school shooting. We've got news, traffic, weather. Continue our conversation with Annie. Invite you to participate. This is Hometown Radio. Adam Verdon's already here. Uh, he'll be joining us uh, at 5.05. Plenty to talk about with our first-time guest. Uh, meanwhile, Annie Lorenzen has been with us for a long, long, long time because she is such a great guest. We're talking about Jennifer Crumbly, first U.S. parent convicted on manslaughter, failing to stop her son from carrying out a deadly school shooting. As we continue with Annie, Craig, I'd like to hear from you on this because you're a parent, and in the past you have uh, supported the right to own guns. Any reaction to the case? Well, I I can't have a completely clear picture because I don't know every piece of evidence in the story. But if she was, uh, I don't know, helping, if she was uh, had culpability in him having the gun, taking it to school, if she was a part of that and ignored the warning signs, then there there should definitely be uh, some consequences. But with that being said, it's it, an extremely slippery slope if you're going to start charging parents for the uh, deeds of their kids and actually, you know, sending them to jail for something the kids did if you if you did not actually participate in it. Yeah, which then the question becomes what defines participation. Yeah. So. And, and another thing that was said was the fact that, you know, there was not enough contrition and she didn't apologize. Well, that's just reporting. I don't, you know, I don't know that the uh, media or that we've seen all the aspects of how, you know, saddened she is by this. But the fact is... There was a lot of uh, evidence that I saw about the fact that they didn't look through his book bag. There were signs ahead of time in the school didn't do anything. How much culpability does the school have in this situation? And are they the ones who are passing the buck? All right. Legitimate. Thank you, Craig. Let's uh, take a call. We've got Jack in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Jack. Dave, I was kind of with Craig and kind of till the end until we're pawning it off on the school. You know, I think what's sad about this whole case, and I actually lived in Michigan, lived in the Detroit area for a number of years. I actually very actively follow the news in, in the greater Detroit area. And I can't, but I can't say I've followed this story to the extent that I can offer much more than an opinion, and that's why I value your show, is I can offer an opinion. Sure. I think it is so sad that it's got to the point where kids, children in school, have to be killed before their, before their parents are held accountable. There is mm-hmm. no accountability by parents. We see it mm-hmm. everywhere in society in this day and age. These mall rats taking over, I mean, taking over malls and, and, ro- and robbing them and pillaging them. Where are the parents in that? It starts at home. And nobody wants to hold a parents accountable for when their kids screw up. All we want to do is give everybody a ribbon. Hold these damn people accountable. And how about a little bit of law and order? And it can start at home. Now, mm-hmm. if I screwed up when I was a kid and I didn't, you know what? I guess what? I guess I didn't go to prison because my parents actually ruled the roost with an iron fist. But absentee families, absentee, I'm not saying fathers, I'm saying families. I see the family structure in America, it's a much bigger issue. But we have to hold somebody accountable for Christ's sake. 
There's four people that are dead. Those kids are dead because the parents were not responsible. Those parents are crap bags. Stay with us, Jack. What do you say, Annie? Um, I, I agree with him. And, you know, I hate that I'm going to do this, but I was raised in a house where we knew where the keys to the gun cabinet were from the time we weren't tall enough to use those keys. But I also was raised by a former Marine and a former Iowa farmer who made sure that we knew what a gun could do, what it did do, and we, you know, we were raised in a, in a household that was safe. We knew where my dad's forty five was on his, in his bedside table. We never touched anything that had to do with a gun or live ammunition without my father being there ever. And he was very strict about that. Um, and he took, because he took that very personally, he said, if you screw up, they're going to come after me. That's what he thought even then in the 50s and 60s. And he said, I'm in charge, et cetera, et cetera. So I agree very much with what Jack was saying. And the school is, you know, very culpable also. If you just read that day, and the media has pulled all that out, you can read almost hour by hour of what went down both the parents and the school. Yeah. Ultimately, though, that gun, where'd that gun, gun come out of? It came out of the house right. where both parents knew that gun was. So I agree with Jack. Jack, what else you want to say? No, I just think, the you know, it's a bigger issue. It's really sad that it's come to this. I mean, I grew up in a similar household yeah. as Annie did. You know, I mean, heck, you know, we I grew up around firearms and stuff. But it was, you know, there was always some level of, of accountability um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in the parental structure and i think it goes much deeper than you know this is just kind of a one-off where somebody's being held accountable i think society's got much bigger issues and that's an entirely different show great show always good to hear from you jack thanks for calling in we're welcome your phone calls and your text messages for annie lorenzen 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832 As we focus on this case out of Michigan about the first U.S. parent convicted of manslaughter for failing to stop her son from carrying out a deadly school shooting. But, Annie, as uh, we're back with you, is there not a positive here that perhaps parents will see this court decision and think twice about allowing their young person to have a gun or keeping an eye on them, being more involved with parenting? Well, I, you know, there's, you brought up the slippery slope thing. I think that this could be, could be a wake up call for some parents. What I'm very concerned about is the polarity that it was within our culture right now. Um, and, you know, the divided way that we're all coexisting. I don't, I unfortunately, as positive as I am normally, I'm very concerned that enough parents won't get the message. I think if there is a slippery slope, I think that may kick off an opportunity for people to go, you know what, that, I, I can't have that happening in my house. I think, unfortunately, that's wrapped up in another way in households where people are already worried about they're going to come get our guns, and we need to be able to defend ourselves no matter what. Even if I have a kid, I'm just going to have to, I guess I'm going to have to look out for the kid a little better. That could be a good, that could be a good response. So I don't know, Dave. I'm, I'm hopeful that it will kick off that, but I'm also worried that it will make some people 
batten down even harder and say it's my child and you know there are guns and I'm not responsible for what a 17, 15-year-old does, but that's the biggest abandonment of a child that there could possibly be. Let's go to Tom and Los Osos on KVEC. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing real good. How are you doing? We're good, sir. What's your take on this? Well, let me see. I'll go back to a story about when I was a kid. Went home with a friend from high school for lunch one day, and he comes walking out. He goes, wait here. I'm going to show you something cool. Out his dad's thirty-eight revolver is pointed right at my head. Oh wow! Oh god! Uh, from about twenty feet away, and I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Point that thing away from me. He goes, "Don't worry, it's not loaded." And he pulls the trigger. Fortunately, I ducked. Went right past my ear, and uh, right through the wall. Hollow point thirty-eight. Had a big hole in the stucco wall. I feel that if you own guns, you need to lock them up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have them locked up, you should be held responsible. So you're okay with what happened with the woman in Michigan? Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> Annie? No, you know, I, I love it when when someone really kind of cuts back, peels back all the onion skin. Um, lock, yes, I think he's on to what really needs to happen. If you have a gun and it's in the house, it needs to be locked. It also, I would go so far as to say that a parent who has children at home, if they purchase a gun or have a gun, they need a gun license, and that license has to include some sort of form that they sign saying that gun will be kept in a locked whatever, period. Hmm. And we have to lock them up. We can't live like, like my dad did or like Tom's friend's you yeah. know, family lives. We can't do that. Tom what, um, Tom, what happened, Tom, what happened to your friend? Anything? You know what? I stopped hanging out with them, and I I didn't know for years. And then mm. I was in the neighborhood a few years back, and I stopped in and saw his dad. And, and I said, did he uh, did he tell you about that? And they go, oh, yeah. I said, did he uh, try to blame it on me or anything? And he said, nope, he, he took the blame. And I said, well, good guy. And uh, it kind of ruined our friendship. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so you don't, you don't know if there were repercussions for the kid? Were there any were there any repercussions? Was he punished at all? Yeah, I think he got in some pretty good trouble. But uh, again, I still feel that if you own guns, they should be locked up for a couple of reasons. I mean, you come home from work and somebody's got they broke in your house and they got your gun pointed at you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, come on, lock them up. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Tom, good to hear from you. We'll come back for a final segment with Andy Lorenzo. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio. All right, we're talking with Andy Lorenzo. Let's take another phone call. We've got Stan in San Luis on KVEC. Hey, Stan. Hi, how you doing? Good. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, uh, I think the uh, the woman here should not have been uh, convicted of murder, although I didn't sit on the jury, so I don't know all the facts. But what I do know is that she uh, was not her gun, and it was the husband's negligence who didn't keep the gun locked. And I think maybe if anybody should be convicted of murder, it should be him. And uh, you're putting... 
too much responsibility on the wife, what control does she have over the husband and his gun? What could she possibly do? And uh, I think it's, from that perspective, I think it's unfair that she would get blamed for what the husband's negligence, and she shouldn't have been uh, convicted of murder. Right, and just to clarify, Stan, she was uh, convicted of four counts of involuntary manslaughter, which is different, uh-huh. but I take your point. Annie, what do you say to Stan? Um, I Thank you, Stan, because I think you brought up something that's going to be coming up a lot around this trial and at dinner tables across the country, because this woman is an employed person. She doesn't appear to be ignorant. Um, she's living with her husband for many, many years, so I will not assume that he can rules the house with an iron fist, especially in the sense that here she he he didn't take the boy to the shooting range. She did, um, and that was just before the murders. So I think both parents are culpable. If she had a problem and he had a gun in the house and he was in charge of everything and she was afraid of him, that's a whole other discussion. And why hasn't that come up? since then. And I don't know. She's the one that went on trial first. So why wouldn't that be part of the defense that he influenced? It was his fault. And that we haven't heard yet, Stan. So, but I I can tell, I can guarantee you this conversation that you brought up is a great one because there are a lot of people that are going to go, well, how much control does a husband have over his wife? And in today's world, that's very different. We'll see that in March when he goes on trial. What else from you, Stan? Right. Well, you know, I didn't know that fact that she had taken him to a a shooting range. A shooting range. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, but then again, I don't know how much control she had over the gun. And the gun was unlocked and it seems like it was the husband's gun. And so, but then again, I wasn't sitting on the jury, but it seems like she got a wrong, a raw deal, uh, you know, from the facts that I, I've uh, gleaned. But uh, uh, I don't know, what state was this? Uh, Michigan. This is Michigan. And both Michigan. both parents were at the meeting where there was concern about the son. And according to the press reports and actually the trial stand, the parents cut the meeting short because they had to get to work. And there was a gun in the kid's backpack. Yeah, they wouldn't take him out. They wouldn't take him out of school. The school wanted him to be removed by the parents. And at that meeting at the school, the parents refused. And did they, they didn't know the gun was in the backpack, obviously. I don't know. I, I'm hoping yeah. not. I'm hoping obviously, not. they couldn't yeah. have. Yeah, hoping not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I guess there's a lot more that I don't know about it. But anyway, yeah, we're in the that spot, too. Yeah. Always good to hear from you, Stan. Thanks for the call. 805-543-8830. If you want in on this conversation, we need to hear from you now, please, as we talk about this case out of Michigan. Annie on the Stolberg line. I'm not sure, but if a minor messes up, i.e. drives drunk, kills someone, have the parents always been responsible financially and criminally? There has been many a family destroyed by a screw-up of one of their kids. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that's been... What I've observed, we have many, many cases where that has been the case. Um, and that's why I brought that up sort of at the, I didn't sort of, I brought it up at the beginning of the show. There's an example of where, you know, if you're lucky you have insurance, but you're going to get looked at if it's your car registered to you, or even if you registered to you and you give it to your kid, you're liable. Yes. 
Listener on the Stolberg line wants to know, can the same thing happen to parents who have kids in gangs? That's an interesting question. If your kid joins a gang and they kill someone or injure someone, hmm, I don't know. That's a tough one because in that case, a lot of situations with the gangs, a lot of times that is what a new gang member has to do to stay safe in the gang and to keep their own family safe is to go out and and be part of this culture where people are shot and threatened and all that. So, you know, if the and in many cases, those parents may suspect something, but because of the system in which they're living, you know, they're working two jobs, you know, there's, it's just such a multi-layered problem. That's not an excuse. That's just the reality that we're facing. Another listener on the Stolberg line is asking or pointing out that many laws already require you to keep your firearms locked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would imagine that's that, the case. Yeah, that, and I think California is one of those, but there are many states where that is the case. But it is obviously not locked against this kid because this kid was able to get that done. So what do you do with that? Well, then you're back to parent responsibility again. Well, and then the next step, as we point out when Stan called in, is that the father is going to go on trial. They were supposed to go on mm-hmm. trial together at the same time, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. asked to split it up. And mm-hmm. I know you're concerned about that, Annie, because of the cost involved. Well, there's a there's a real cost to the taxpayer, uh, as well as, you know, there's just, it's unbelievable what happens. My husband was a defense attorney years and years and years ago, my first husband, so... There's an incredible cost in that in these days for these things to go on, and the state absorbs a lot of that cost because a capital case usually is the state of or the county of against this individual. So the taxpayer is footing the bill. You know, spread that out all the state of Michigan. I don't know what that means, but the time and the effort that's going to go into defending these parents, and they're going to be bringing up all these reasons why one parent had or did not have control over the other one. I, fu- I just believe they're both culpable because they were both at that meeting. At least the mother, surely the father, also knew that this kid was mentally ill. Um, the lack of responsibility with a gun in the house with live manu- ammunition is just appalling. Well, and there's also the um, idea that the father is coming up in a separate trial. His punishment, the mother hasn't been sentenced yet, but the right. father could end up with a stiffer sentence. It's entirely possible. We just don't know which way it's going to go down. And, and I, I promised you, Dave, and I mean it, I'm following this case for all sorts of reasons. The way I was raised, gun laws, you know, over the years, people not paying attention, the lack of parenting that is happening in our culture now that is just rampant, um, and parenting where parent is actually responsible and knows that they ultimately are responsible for an action of an underage child. They just are. Um, that's what we take on. That's what we know when the thing exits the five-star hotel that is a mom, here comes this baby, and that's what we take on. Now, does everybody? Unfortunately, no. And that's, that's what we're living with. I repeat my public stance that I've had for years is that I myself do not own a gun, and I would never own a gun, but I will defend your right to be a responsible gun owner. But having said that, I am very concerned about more and more young people 
some mm-hmm. of whom should not have guns, who have mm-hmm. mental issues. We've got to do, we've got to be more responsible to make sure they don't have guns. Yeah, and the, the, underneath all of that, what you just said is the first responsibility is that the parent needs to be a responsible gun owner to begin with and, and to be committed to making sure that that gun is not available and once the child is old enough that that child is duly trained and then ultimately licensed. The kids have to be licensed to have a car, to drive a car. They need to be licensed to handle a gun and not when they're 18, much younger. Now, I don't know the answer to this next question or comment, Annie, but I have to wonder, that the there were four students killed, another seven were wounded. Some people have tried to point to the school, their involvement in this. I'm wondering if, they're, if they could be sued. I'm sure. I actually, I would be surprised. Unless there's some sort of immunity thing in Michigan, I don't have any idea what their school districts are like. But there is culpability here, because they were warned that this kid had a gun in the backpack. That's part of the morning's problem, let alone the the situation with the drawing that this kid does and the fact that they allowed the parents to leave the kid there, you know, and then to not, that's gross negligence not to even consider looking in his backpack. Final period. comment on the Stolberg line. Too many parents use the school system to raise their kids. Too many parents mm-hmm. look at child rearing as analogous to having a pet. The parent mm-hmm. is responsible for the actions of the kid, and this is a good way to drive that responsibility home. Short response, I, Annie. I agree. I, I agree 100%. There will, this is not just to give an example, because that's not what this is. Four kids and sta- other staff members lost their lives and are seriously wounded because of that. So, you know, that, <laughs> it, it, it's time that somebody put their foot down you know, metaphorically speaking, and and did something about this. And this is a really, it's time to start. Unfortunately, there's a part of me that feels like, you know what, everybody's left the barn, and now we're just going to be doing cleanup and catch-up, and that's tragic. Unfortunately, it's time to stop. Annie, always good to be in conversation. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me, Dave. Take Off care. we go. We've got news and traffic and weather. Adam Verdon is in the house. Who is this guy? Let's find out. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.